Hello and welcome to the Swing for the Fences podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Shapiro, as always, coming to you from my apartment here in Manhattan. It is Thursday, January 14th at 4 o'clock p.m. I'm so excited for this episode. This might be my favorite podcast episode that I put out all year, and it's only you know the 14th day of 2021, and that's because we've got a trade, a massive trade in the NBA, the James Harden trade 2.0 with Harden going to the Nets. That's going to be this, the entire content of this podcast episode. We're going to kind of go into it from you know, Houston's point of view, Brooklyn's point of view, who else was came out like a winner and a loser in terms of individual players, but also other teams. Going to quickly do a rundown, rundown of the implications in the playoff picture in both the Western and Eastern conferences as well. So this is a James Harden-heavy podcast. Your um, under-the-radar hidden gem of this podcast is also related to the trade. So we're going heavy I'm one of the biggest trades, I guess, you know, it's in the NBA, every trade is, is big. But I would say maybe the biggest trade since the Anthony Davis trade uh, when he was traded to the Lakers, kind of shaking up, you know, the hierarchy of the NBA and making the, the Nets definitely a powerhouse in the, in the short term. Let's see how it works out for them in the long term. So uh, this podcast episode, again, heavy on James Harden. Hope you guys really enjoy. All right, let's get into the meat and potatoes of the James Harden trade. So just to recap for you, just go through the trade details real quick, and then I want to really get into the nitty-gritty of who I think won the trade and, and kind of some of the, the far-reaching implications because this is this is a massive trade, about as big as it gets. We're talking about one of the best offensive players in the history of the NBA, a former MVP, someone who's you know led the league in scoring um, for the last you know five to ten years, has always been in the in the top three in leading the league in scoring going to a team that already has KD and Kyrie. So it's a big deal. Just recapping the trade details real quick. So Brooklyn gets James Harden, right? And then Houston gets a lot of picks. So pick swaps, basically you have the chance to exchange your slot in the draft lottery with the other team that's in 2021, 2023, 2025, and 2027. And then they just get Brooklyn's unprotected pick in 2022, 24, and 26. So they basically have the option to take Brooklyn's pick starting from 2021 next season all the way through 2027. Now, some context to give you in terms of this draft compensation. You know, in 2021, 2022, 2023, you imagine that the Nets are going to be really competing for a championship. They're going to be definitely competing in the latter stages of the playoffs unless something horrible goes wrong with maybe an injury or, or something else. So the draft compensation for the next three seasons, I don't think is going to be that great. It's going to be a late first rounder. Um, I don't think that Houston will want to swap picks. I think Houston will have a worse record. If you have a worse record than the team, you have a swap pick rights with no point in swapping that pick. So I will say for the next three years, those draft picks really aren't going to net Houston anything. I think they're going to be late in the first round. Those kinds of players are always kind of toss-ups in terms of they're actually going to be contributors on an NBA team. I think where this draft compensation really gets valuable is the 2024 to 2027 range. In those four years, that's kind of split up. You have two unprotected picks from Brooklyn, and then you have two pick swaps. And I think Houston is banking on the fact that by 2024, certainly by 2027, that Kyrie, KD, and Harden will not all be together on the same team, that, that Brooklyn will be a lot worse and this is kind of good, might be, you know, the outcome that Boston had with the, the the Paul Pierce and Kevin Garnett trade. You've seen that comparison, I guess, on ESPN and other, you know, social media people comparing it to that 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 
you know, trade that Billy King made a few years ago. I think that's what Houston's banking on. By 2024, Brooklyn's going to be a lot worse. Maybe KD is on his last legs. Maybe Kyrie is playing somewhere else. Harden definitely isn't going to age well, given his, you know, conditioning and his off-the-court habits. So I think that that's really the value in this trade for Houston. Those last four years, that's nothing to sneeze at. If you can get four years of, of really good draft picks from a team that you think is going to be really bad and kind of in a, be in a rebuilding stage by that point, nothing to sneeze at. My question for Houston, and this I think is the most interesting part of this trade, I'm curious what other offers Houston got. And I'm specifically talking about Philadelphia. If Philly offered Ben Simmons, which was a rumor that he was on the table, and draft pick compensation, would you prefer that option if you're Houston to what they got from Brooklyn? Because they didn't get any any blue chip actual live players from Brooklyn, right? They got Karis LeVert. They flipped him to Indiana for Victor Oladipo. Oladipo obviously coming off a major knee surgery and also is in the last year of his contract. So there's not even a guarantee that, that Oladipo is going to be on the team next year. So if you're Houston, what you got in this trade is draft pick compensation. I just went through it. It's good compensation for sure. But is that better than getting Ben Simmons and like two future draft picks? Would you rather have a 24-year-old, you know, 6'9", point guard, all-defensive caliber talent who can run the floor, you know, create for others, really a unique talent that Ben Simmons is, Ben Simmons is, would you rather have that guy as kind of the face of your franchise to build around plus like two picks or would you rather seven years of picks, you know, the, the first three of which are really not going to pay much dividends to you? It's a good question. Personally, I would think that they would want the Ben Simmons option. I think Simmons is the ideal in terms of you're getting a very young player, but you're getting a, a blue chip prospect as well. Again, a unique skill set, someone I think who could be the face of your franchise, be really exciting, kind of bring the fans to the arena once people can go back to games. I was really surprised that Houston didn't take that option. Now, again, we will never know what Philadelphia offered them. It's not like Daryl Morey is going to come out and say, here's what I offered Houston. They didn't take it from me. You know, I don't think that's going to be the case. We're never going to know. But there is a lot of rumors, a lot of speculation that Simmons and draft pick conversation was on the table. Personally, for me, I would have preferred that to, you know, all the to only draft picks. That that's what I'm saying. And, and I don't think Houston really went wrong here. They didn't make a huge mess up. You know, seven years of draft picks is is a big deal. Not to repeat myself, I just think that it's the best of both worlds. If you can get a great young player and draft picks, I think that's kind of playing for now and in the future, as opposed to only draft pick compensation. That's solely for the future. And you're hoping that those picks pan out. We don't know. Those are unknowns. With Simmons, at least you do have a known quality. He's an all-star and a really unique talent. So that's kind of my first impression of this trade. I'm just kind of curious what other options Houston had. I don't understand the decision to flip Karis LeVert for Oladipo. Um, like I said, he's got an injury history. He's in the last year of his deal. So either you're going to be paying a lot of money for a player who may not be the same since his knee surgery um, or Old Depot is going to walk in free agency, and then you just kind of gave up Karis Levert for three quarters of a season of a shooting guard. So I don't really get the point. I think Indiana is actually an underrated winner for this of this you know trade. They get Karis Levert and a second round pick in exchange for Old Depot. Old Depot had made it very clear he didn't want to stay in Indiana beyond this season. 
they he, he was almost asking for a trade. So if you put yourself in Indiana's shoes, you've got a, a player who, again, coming off a major knee injury, there's questions if he could ever get back to his pre-injury peak in terms of performance, and he doesn't want to be there. And you get a player in Karis LeVert who's younger than Oladipo, who's cheaper than Oladipo, could be he's under contract for the next three seasons. And at his peak, why can't Karis LeVert give you like 85 to 90% of what Oladipo would give you? So you're giving you're getting someone who's not a huge drop-off, plays the same position, cheaper and younger, and you get a second-round pick for someone who did not want to be on your team. So I think Indiana was great there. I don't get the Houston part of that. Maybe they're trying to hedge by by competing this season for one of the last playoff spots. Maybe, you know, Tillman Furtado, the owner of Houston, says, if we're going to kind of blow it up and start rebuilding with all these draft picks from, from Brooklyn, maybe we get a player in Oladipo who could, who could keep us in contention with John Wall and Christian Wood for this season. You know, I, I think that's a mistake. I think you've got to pick a lane. Either you're rebuilding and you're starting from scratch with these draft picks, or, you know, you're keeping James Harden and trying to compete for a playoff spot. I don't get the point of trying to do both. You know, you you are blowing it up. You're trading one of the best players in franchise history, one of the best offensive players in the history of the NBA. For all these draft picks, it means you're going younger. And then let's trade for a shooting guard who is in the last year of his contract coming off major knee surgery. I, I don't get kind of that part of the trade. So those are my – those are my, you know um, – I guess my thoughts from, from Houston's perspective, I think one other thing I'd add as we're kind of going into the future, one thing to think about is that there is some anticipation that high school players will be allowed to be drafted in future drafts. So if we're thinking about, again, looking into the future, into the future years of these draft picks for Houston, by 2027, I think they're assuming there's going to be a wider draft pool. So it's not just that Brooklyn's going to have a worse team, that these draft picks are going to look really good if Brooklyn is in you know rebuilding mode by that time. But if you're allowed to draft players straight from high school, that means a, a, a larger draft pool and more talent that Houston has the chance uh, to pick from. So, you know, I'll say that. I think moving on to, to Brooklyn's side of things, I can't fault them for doing this at all. I think anytime you have the chance to get someone of, Hard, of Harden's caliber, I know he's been a jerk off the court and he's been, you know, ignoring COVID protocols and he's been a malcontent on the court and pouting and not giving effort. You know, we've seen this with Jimmy Butler. We've seen it even with Kyrie. You know, these superstars who, when they just decide they don't want to be somewhere, you can't really talk them out of it, and you can't even ask them to give minimal effort. But once Jimmy Butler ends up in Miami, night and day, he led them to the finals. You know, Kyrie seemed much happier in Brooklyn than when he was, you know, in Boston. He seemed much happier in Boston than when he was in Cleveland when he wanted out there. So I I don't think that Harden is going to pout for the rest of the season. I think this will rejuvenate him. Any chance again, you have the chance to get anytime you have the chance to get one of the best players, you know, in the history of the NBA, an all NBA first team candidate, a recurring MVP candidate, I think you've got to go for it. What I'm kind of curious about is is the rotation for Brooklyn going forward. Um, because make no mistake about it, you know, James Harden is under contract for two more seasons. He's 31. He I already mentioned that he's not aging well, right? His 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 skill set's not gonna go away, but he's not in shape at all. He does not have good conditioning habits. You know, he likes to party off the court as well. And now you're putting him in New York City. So I, I'm not, I don't think he's going to age well into his mid 30s. He's, he's 31 right now, under contract for two more years. So if you're Brooklyn, I'm not even saying that they're guaranteed to try and resign him when he's 33. 
So I think they're looking at this as kind of a two-year window. They have KD, Kyrie, and Harden at least for these two years. Let's see if we can win a title or two uh, in this kind of very brief championship window. I'm curious what, what the rest of this roster looks like. So just looking at their depth chart, you're looking at Kyrie, Harden, Durant, I guess Joe Harris to spread the floor. He's a great three-point shooter. He would fit really well for them in terms of spraying the floor out offensively. And then I guess John, DeAndre Jordan is your five. I mean, Brooklyn gave up Jared Allen in this trade. He ended up in Cleveland. I get that that was – you do – you absolutely are willing to give up a player like Jared Allen, who's a good young player. He's fine. But he's not like a deal-breaker in terms of acquiring a Hall of Famer like James Harden. So I get why they did it. You know, DeAndre Jordan looks washed to me. If he's your starting five, it's not ideal. But again, you know, if he's kind of a rim runner in pick and rolls, running to the rim, forcing the defense to collapse, I think offensively they'll be good. What I'm curious about is the depth in the defense. You know, their their bench right now looks like Landry Shamit, Bruce Brown, uh, Timothy Luawu Cabarro, Jeff Green, who somehow is still in the NBA, even though it seems like he's been playing for 20 years. And then I guess your your backup five is is Nick Claxton, who's really unproven, a second year player, and he's also currently hurt right now. You know, Tyler Johnson is in the mix as a backup wing, I guess. And they're going to be in the market for for buyout candidates as well. But I don't know if those buyout candidates are really going to move the needle for you. There will be demand from players who are on bad teams demanding to you know be released so that they can kind of join Brooklyn for the title for the title run and the stretch run. I don't know if those guys are kind of you know moving the needle for you. So depth wise, they're definitely thinner. I think they're going to have a problem with rebounding, and I think they're going to have a problem with perimeter defense. I in that starting five. Kyrie and Harden are really bad defenders. Joe Harris tries hard, but he's not really quick laterally. I don't see who's going to be guarding, you know, the Jason Tatum's, Jalen Brown's, you know, Giannis's of the world. If you have to go through them, Jimmy Butler, if you, if you have to go through Miami, um, I don't really see who on this roster is going to do that. That kind of leads me to my hidden gem. I know I'm going all over the place, but that kind of leads me to the, to the hidden gem for this podcast and that's Bruce Brown and Timothy Luau Cabrera, which I'm going to call him TLC from now on just for simplicity's sake. I think those two are hidden gems for you because if Brooklyn has any hope of getting to the place that they want to get to, I think Bruce Brown and TLC are going to have to play a big role. I think you're going to hear their names. You're going to see them a lot on the court. Bruce Brown, for his defensive capabilities, he's going to need to play some perimeter defense because Kyrie and Harden ain't doing it. I think TLC is going to have to be a, a player that definitely contributes in terms of being a backup wing, maybe getting some crunch time minutes as well. A guy who can spread the floor, knock, knock down some wide open shots, has the length and athleticism to be a capable defender as well. He might be playing big time minutes. So the hidden gems, if if you want to fast forward to the summer and you anticipate Brooklyn playing in the Eastern Conference Finals, playing in the NBA Finals, look out for the names Bruce Brown and TLC to kind of pop up unexpectedly as people who are going to have a big role um, because DeAndre Jordan is watched. Maybe they go really small in their crunch time five. Maybe Durant is the the small center there. And then you have Harris Harden and then one of Bruce Brown or TLC to kind of give you some, some three point shooting and some defense as well. So those are my hidden gems for you. You know, another thing from, from Brooklyn's perspective, um, you know, People are, are kind of sleeping on this, but Mike D'Antoni is the assistant coach for Brooklyn. You know, Steve Natch is the head coach, but Mike D'Antoni is the assistant coach. 
I don't think Brooklyn makes this trade without asking D'Antoni first of saying, how do you think Harden would fit in with two other type A alpha dog superstars? Do you think he would buy in on the defensive end of the floor? Do you think he'll help us rebound? How do you think he'll mesh? You know, is the, the, you know, the, the way he's acting off the court, is that a permanent thing? Or do you think we can kind of get his mind right if we brought him in here? D'Antoni must have signed off on this because if Mike D'Antoni is going into the front office of Brooklyn and saying, do not trade for James Harden, he's out of shape, he's a crazy, he's not going to work well with Kyrie and KD, I don't think they make this trade. So whether they asked him or not, either D'Antoni gave his blessing or he didn't put up a fight against it. I think that's a big deal because, you know, they didn't necessarily end on a, on a bad note. But there was definitely some some minor points of friction between D'Antoni and Harden. Harden has best years under D'Antoni in terms of his offensive production. So D'Antoni's system definitely helped Harden become the player that he he is today. I just think it's really interesting anytime like a big time superstar reunites with his old coach like this. D'Antoni must have told Nash, must have told the front office that Harden would be willing to fit in and to make it work. So that's another kind of angle that's really interesting to me from Brooklyn. The last thing that I want to do right now. You know, to to wrap up this James Harden trade, you know, uh, high intensity podcast here where we go over the trade. I want to quickly go through the playoff implications in both the West and the East, and what this trade means for those teams. And I want to start off with the West. This trade is not going to impact the the top of the West just because Houston with James Harden, they were maybe competing for the sixth, seventh, maybe eighth or ninth seeds. They weren't at all going to you know get to the heights that they were last season. I think Harden was really unhappy. I don't know if he meshed well with John Wall. There was talk from you know DeMarcus Cousins right after the trade happened that the locker room was really against Harden, and they, they thought it was disrespectful how he was kind of loafing it during games. So as that – if that Houston roster stayed as it was you know 24 hours ago, I don't think they're competing with the top levels of the West. So – I don't think the Lakers, the Clippers, I'll put Denver in that group. I'll put Dallas and Utah in that group. I don't think those top five teams are necessarily impacted by this trade. I think, if anything, it kind of solidifies their standing. Those should be the top five teams in the West, in my opinion. Um, There's really no excuse now that Houston has kind of disappeared from playoff contention after this trade. No excuse for those five teams to not be the top five. What I'm more interested in is kind of the bottom of the playoff picture in the West. So if you're the Pelicans, if you're the Trailblazers, the Phoenix Suns, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies, once they get John Morant back, the Warriors, who are starting to play better now, even though they have very little offensive help beyond Steph Curry, the, the Kings, who are always, you know, a young team, we're waiting for them to make the next leap, the Spurs, who are always competitive and showing some flashes of life here. I think if you're any one of those seven teams that I mentioned, this really helps you because Houston, even with an upset James Harden, a pouting James Harden, was going to be in contention for one of those final playoff spots. And so if you're one of those teams that I just listed and you're kind of on the fringe of the playoff picture, you just saw this as Houston relinquishing their spot as terms of being a competitor for those last playoff positions. I think that's really good news if you're the Pelicans with Zion trying to break into the playoffs, if you're a young team like Memphis or the Kings or Phoenix trying to make your mark, if you're you know, a veteran team like Portland and Golden State trying to get back to your glory days, trying to get back into the playoff picture and make some noise. I think this helps you. I think it helps Popovich and the Spurs, who will always going to be, be competitive. So those are the teams that I think this trade really helps in terms of the West. 
And in terms of the Eastern Conference playoff picture, it's the opposite. You know, for the West, we're talking about the bottom part of the playoff picture. For the East, this trade really impacts the top. And I think that's because Brooklyn now, when you go all in with a trade like this, you're expecting to compete not just to win the East, but also to compete to, to make it to the finals and win an NBA championship. And so we're really looking at the top of the East. So, you know, I think that Brooklyn, you know, goes above if we kind of look at the standings from last year, I think it puts them right in line with Milwaukee. Toronto's really struggling. Indiana's a step below, even though I like what they did getting Karis LeVert. Miami's had a rough start to the season. You know, you look at this, I think Brooklyn goes above Philly. I think there are some serious questions with Philly. I like that they kept uh, Ben Simmons, but there's still questions about their depth. There's questions about their perimeter defense beyond Simmons as well. And there's always going to be that question about the Simmons and Bede fit. I think Brooklyn, now that they have three all-NBA players, offensively at least, I think this catapults them over Philly. What I'm really interested in, the team at the top of the East that I'm most fascinated by, I think that Boston could be a really tricky matchup for Brooklyn. I think that they match up really well. I think that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown being the great two-way players that they are, I think they can match up with Harden and Durant, at least make life difficult for Harden and Durant, make them work for their points, and then score on them on the other end. I think their center position, which was a weakness last year, could be a strength in terms of Tristan Thompson and Daniel Theis really making it difficult you know, on the offensive glass because I think defensive rebounding will be a huge weakness for Brooklyn. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Durant and also Harden to rebound very strongly. I think Tristan Thompson can really take advantage of that in a playoff series. They have Marcus Smart, who, again, can at least make Kyrie Irving work for his points. So I've, I think that Boston, in terms of their two-way, two-way wings, really strong defense in Marcus Smart. If they can get Kemba Walker back and healthy, that's another scoring option that they have. I see them actually as a more well-rounded version of the Nets. Not the the, the same you know, top shelf talent, you know, Tatum and Brown are not at the same level as Harden and Durant and, and Boston does not, you know, Kemba Walker is not at the level um, of Kyrie, especially considering that Kemba is dealing with, with knee issues and hasn't even played yet this season. So the top shelf talent isn't there, but in terms of both ends of the floor, in terms of rebounding, in terms of having experience playing with each other, they've now played with each other for a couple of seasons since Kemba came last year, Marcus Smart, Brown, Tatum, they've been together for more than a few years now. They have playoff experience together. They already know how to gel. There's some sort of chemistry and culture there. I actually think Boston could be a real thorn in the side of Brooklyn's plans to compete for a championship this season. And this season at least. Maybe next season, once they're used to playing with each other, where we're, you know, things are always changing in the NBA. And we don't know how it's going to happen next season or the season after that. In terms of just this season. I'm really curious if Boston can actually defeat Brooklyn in a playoff series. Now, maybe it doesn't even happen that way. We don't know. Maybe Boston, you know, loses in an earlier round. Maybe Philly takes them out. Maybe Miami takes them out, whatever it is, and Brooklyn gets a better matchup. But again, that combination of rebounding and defense and two-way wing play, I think that could be a real challenge for Brooklyn. That's really the team that that I'm really most fascinated about at the top of the East, the Boston Celtics, in terms of having a really good chance against Brooklyn. So that's a, a, a lot of time that I've spent talking about the trade. I think it's really fascinating. I think it changes a lot of things in both conferences. There are wide-ranging implications, not just this season, but again, for every season down the line going into 2027, which is the last year that, that Houston is going to own 
uh, a Brooklyn Nets pick. Um, I really enjoyed kind of talking to you guys about, you know, how this impacts Houston, how it impacts Indiana also, who I said was kind of an under-the-radar winner of this trade, how it impacts Brooklyn, and then again, the playoff pictures in both conferences as well. Really enjoy talking about this. I love big trades like these. You know, it's kind of like these are the trades that you're kind of refreshing Twitter all the time, hoping that Woj is going to come through with his, you know, trademark Woj bomb that's going to shake up the entire league and be really exciting to kind of analyze and talk about. I think about the strategy and and why Houston did this and didn't accept the Philly offer and why Brooklyn did this as opposed to to keeping their depth and young talent in draft compensation. So I love these kinds of trades. It seems like we, we get one of these every season now with the NBA. Um, really excited to see how it plays out. Again, not just this season, but but going into the future as well. Hope you guys enjoyed um, you know the discussion here. Hope I made some some interesting points that kind of you know forces you to think back and consider. Hope you enjoyed the the under the radar hidden gems of this episode. Again, fast forward, put yourself you know four months in the future, five months in the future. You're watching the the deep rounds of the playoffs, and Brooklyn's on your TV. Be prepared for the commentators to be talking about Bruce Brown and TLC if Brooklyn wants to get to where they the you know they hope to get to, which is the Eastern Conference Finals at least. So hope you enjoyed the discussion. Thanks so much for listening. I will check you guys out soon. Peace.